0: Well, as I was telling our Sunday school this morning, it's good to be back. Besides the heat, that is. I wasn't looking forward to that. But most of you are aware that my wife and I, for the past couple of weeks, really just ten days, were... We were on vacation. Uh, we went to Ontario, which is on the eastern part of Canada. It's not too far north of the border. But we went up there for 10 days. We were able to spend some time, uh, time with Mike and his family, the previous pastor that was here. And it was very good. Some good time spent, very relaxing. Loved being able to see them and to go on some little adventures together, things like that. But there's there's nothing like being able to, to come back home to what's familiar, and most of all, being able to come back and be with your church family, your brothers and sisters in Christ. They say, hello, by the way, Mike and his family, they're doing well. Their church is doing good. And Mike told me to be sure to give His greetings to all of you. Uh, They do miss Oz Chapel very dearly, but they are doing well. Now, for the first Sunday back, you may have noticed in your bulletin that I have put there that we're going to be starting a new series. And the title of that series is, Created to Glorify God and Enjoy Him Forever. That's the title of this series, and we're going to be in it for the next five weeks. You may remember that I preached this series to some students a while back at Camp Pearl. I went down to Camp Pearl, which is a, a children's, youth, high school camp. They have all ages that go there. I went there back in April. And I preached this series to them. Then it was a four-part series. I've added one sermon for you guys that I'll get into later on. But I want to take that series and I want to put it before you as well. Because it's a very important series. It is about God's glory and it is about your joy and satisfaction and how they go together. That's what we're going to be talking about. That's what the main focus is going to be on how God is first and foremost about His glory. That's what He cares about most of all. That's why He created all things. That's why He created you. You are called to praise Him. You are called to make much of Him. And in doing that, you find your greatest joy and your greatest satisfaction. You also may be familiar with this, some of you anyways, the ones who come to our small groups, during the midweek meetings, because the women and the, the men both, the women went through this series a while back. The guys are currently going through it now, but it's a series called The Blazing Center with John Piper, and he's talking about these things. Well, this series is going to be similar to that, except for I'm going to change it up a little bit. I'm going to do it a little bit differently than what he does. Basically, what we're going to do in our five weeks in this series, is we're going to take the four-part division: creation, fall, redemption, restoration. If you're not aware, you can divide the Bible with those four divisions. So we're going to walk through those divisions, and I'm going to add one sermon in the midst of that. But we're going to walk through those divisions, focusing on this theme: God's glory and our joy being found in it. So that's how the series is going to go. And now I want to put the question before you. You know, what's the big deal as we start this series? What's the big deal with this joy stuff? What's the big deal with me talking about joy so much? I had a meeting a while back with some of our church members, and one of them said to me, you know, you talk about joy a lot, Ron when you're up there in the pulpit. You talk about joy a lot. You talk about joy, you talk about satisfaction, you talk about Christ being our treasure, our highest treasure, the thing that's, or the person who's most valuable, above all else, what's the big deal? And talking about these things, why is it so important? I talk about these things so much. I talk about joy, I talk about, God's glory. I talk about your satisfaction being found in it so much because it is critical in not only you understanding the Bible and what it's all about, but in understanding your existence. Why you were created. Why you exist. And what your purpose is. In understanding these truths, God's glory and how our joy is found in it, you will be able to understand why God has created you, what your purpose is. You will be able to understand better the world around you. You know It will shape your worldview, how you view the world around you. So these are critical truths. Now, some of these things are going to be challenging. Some of the things that we're going to look at, particularly in the second sermon next week, But as I told the the youth group that I preached to back in April, I don't feel bad for preaching challenging things. Because you are challenged every day when you turn your TV on, or when you listen to the radio, or when you read books, or whatever it may be. For those of you who are still in school, or for those of you who are in college, you are challenged every day with worldview-shaping truths. So I don't feel bad... About putting these before you. Now, I don't mean to intimidate you. You know, I'm going to do my best to put these before you in a simple way. But, you know, how simple can you make God's glory and things like that? You can't make them all that simple. So they're going to be challenging, but it's going to be good. And I remember whenever I was a new Christian, had not been a Christian for very long. Started coming to this church. I remember very vividly after the services, I would, I would stay. I would talk with Mike. You know, I had tons of questions about different things. I would stay. I talked to him, and he ended up inviting me uh, to the Wednesday night youth group that they had at the time. And I went, started meeting with him, and that's what they were talking about these truths that we're about to be going through. This is what they were studying at the time. And for me, that was critical. Because growing up, I knew who God was. I knew who Jesus Christ was. But as I told the guys in our Wednesday night studies recently, to me, Jesus Christ, yes, He was necessary to be saved. But to me, He was the divine fun sucker. That's how I thought of Jesus. Jesus existed to save you from your sin, but in the process, he sucked all your fun away. You know, he took away all that was good, everything that you wanted to do, you know, hanging out with your friends or whatever it was at the time that I had on my mind. That's how I viewed Jesus. And then I sat there and listened to these truths, and they just swept over me like a a tsunami. You know, like a a tidal wave. It crushed all of those misconceptions that I had about Christ. And it showed me that instead of Him being the divine fun sucker, He is instead the most beautiful person that has ever existed. And that in Him and in His glory, and in the glory of God being made known in Him, that's where I find satisfaction. That's where I find completion and things like that. So those things swept over me. And it, it felt like, although I was already a Christian, I had already come to the Lord and you know, asked for forgiveness of my sin, desire to follow Christ, to be a follower of Christ. But when I came to understand these things, it was like everything changed. I saw things totally different. I read the Bible in a totally different way. I saw people in a totally different way. I saw church in a totally different way in coming to understand these truths. That not only is Jesus Christ necessary for salvation, but He is delightful to know and to trust and follow. And I pray the same thing happens to you if you don't already know these things. And you know, that's also the reason why I became a pastor. It's where the first desire to be a pastor came from, and that's why I stand before you even now today. I didn't become a pastor because I felt like I was particularly smart, that I was a good speaker, that I was good with words, grammar, prepositional phrases, putting things together, vocabulary. I I didn't think I was particularly gifted in that area. I didn't become a pastor because I thought I was given a a special gift in the area of study and things like that. Now, I know the Lord has given me a spiritual gift to teach as He gives you spiritual gifts in different varieties and things like that. I do understand and know that. But I became a pastor because when I began to understand these truths and I began to read the Bible, I saw things that I had never seen before and they floored me. I saw the Bible, read the Bible in a way that filled me with great joy. And I remember talking with Mike in our long meetings that we would have. I would say to Mike, man, I know so many people that don't know any of this. I mean, they say they do. They say they know the Bible. They say they know Christ. But ultimately, they have no idea who He really is. They have no idea that what this book is all about is a person who if you were to see right now, you would fall on your face because of how beautiful and how exalted in His glory He is. That's what this book is all about from cover to cover. It's about Christ and His beauty. I became a pastor because I wanted to share that with other people. And so again, I I pray that we continually see that truth. Now, in this particular sermon, in this first sermon, the title being Creation, Created for Glory and for Joy, we're going to be looking at four essential things. Four essential things that I want to put before you. And we're going to be spending our time in Genesis chapter 1. So you can go ahead and turn there if you have your Bibles with you. And if you would like to be reading in the translation that I'm using, the ESV, please just take the, the Bible that's in front of you, located in the pew. So we're going to be looking at four central truths, or four central things that I want to put before you. These are the four things. First, in the beginning, God created all things. I want to establish that truth. In the beginning, God created all things. Second, I want to ask the question, why God created in the first place? Why did He create? Thirdly, I want to show you that we as human beings have been created to glorify God in a unique way. And then lastly, I want to show you that in glorifying God, there is fullness of joy. So those are the four things that I'm going to be putting before you as we walk through this sermon together. Before I go any further though, and before we look at Genesis chapter 1 together, I'm going to, going to pray. So if you would, please pray with me now. Father, I come before you, and again I ask that you would quiet our minds and our hearts as we look now into your Word. Lord, I am so inadequate to be bringing these truths before your people, talking about your glory and how we find our joy in it. But I pray that you would be with me in my weaknesses, in my weakness. I pray that you would be with those who are sitting before me. I pray that you give them eyes to see and ears to hear and that You would be with me as I communicate these truths. May they come across with clarity, and may they come across with tremendous weight. May they come across as truth, delightful truth. Be with us, and it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Genesis chapter 1, verse 1. In the beginning, God created all things. So at the beginning of the Bible very beginning in chapter 1 this is what we read in the beginning god created the heavens and the earth it's the very first verse of the bible and something that i find so surprising about the bible and how it begins is it doesn't set up a bunch of arguments about how god created everything you know it doesn't go in defense mode it just simply says in the beginning God created the heavens of the earth the heavens and the earth and then it gives some details of what that looked like but it, the bible doesn't sit here and argue with you about it now there are parts in the bible that do but here at the very beginning it just puts this truth before you as reality this is what happened In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. And it does this because this is reality. This is what happened. In the beginning, God created. Now, of course, as we all know, there are some who reject this truth. There are some who argue against it. There are disputes against intelligent design, as it's known in the scientific world. There are many scientists who try to come up with different theories and things like that to disprove disprove God, His existence, and how He created the world and things like that. And I don't have time to get into all the different theories that they have. There are many, and not only from the scientific world, there are also other religions that have their own creation doctrine. And to get into all of that would be a sermon in itself. But the one that we're probably most well aware of is that of evolution. That's the one that is taught most often in our public schools, the one that's most often heard on television, on radio, and things like that. And honestly, when I was growing up, I did not realize how prevalent the the theory of evolution was until I became a Christian. I started reading books and studying on this. And I began to think, you know what? Now that I'm actually thinking about this, I can look back and see you know, how prevalent it was in the classroom when I was in school or in TV shows and things like that. It's everywhere. Our world trying to get you to believe this. The theory of evolution, that everything just... You know, came into being on its own. It came into being on its own. There is no God behind it, no intelligent being. It just came into existence. Now, there is also a lot of evidence on the other side of this argument coming from the Christian perspective, coming from Christian, I don't want to say Christian science because science is just simply science, but there are Christian scientists who work hard in the, the realm of science trying to show that evolution is not all that it's cracked up to be, that there are a lot of holes in their argument. Again, I don't have time to get into those arguments because that would be a sermon in itself as well. But what I do want to say, or what I want to bring before you, is an argument that the Bible itself brings. And it comes from Romans chapter 1. But before we go there, I do want to put some resources before you that you can use on your own you know, to help you be up to date and to know what's going on and things like that. So here's some resources for your own benefit. Uh, the first one is a movie. It's called Is Genesis History? Some of you have seen that movie. It was put out a few years ago by Answers in Genesis. A very good movie, a very apologetical movie. It's basically a movie about these different Christian scientists, biologists, uh, different people, I can't remember what all people are in the movie, in the documentary, but they are putting their arguments against evolution and showing how the Bible is not just... You know, a fantasy. It's not just a story. What God says here in Genesis, it's real. And it can it's a firm foundation to stand on. And science actually backs this up. So that's one resource that you guys can take advantage of. The next one is a book written by Timothy Keller, and it's called The Reason for God. This book is especially helpful for people who are skeptical about these things. He wrote this book having skeptics in mind. And the last one I want to bring before you is a book written by Jared Wilson called Unparalleled. Now this book has the, the aim of showing how the uniqueness of Christianity shows its authenticity. The uniqueness of Christianity shows how genuine it is, how authentic it is in relation to the other religions and things like that. So that is also a good resource for you to look into as well. But now to to Romans chapter 1. This is one of the arguments that the Bible itself puts before us. So in Romans chapter 1, this is the Apostle Paul writing to the Roman Christians, and he says this, "...for the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men." Paul puts before the Romans here in Romans chapter 1 is this. Deep down within us we all know as we look out into creation and see the things that have been made we know that this just didn't come into being. We know that there is a God and that He created these things because as He says For what can be known about God is plain to them because God has shown it to them. So why don't they believe? Paul says this, who by their unrighteousness suppress the truth. So what we as sinful human beings do is we see all that is in front of us. Deep down we know that it's come from somewhere, somebody creating it, and we take that truth, and in our sin and in our rebellion, we say, I don't want to see that. I don't want to know that. We press it down out of sight. We hide it. We suppress it. And we come up with other theories and arguments to take its place. Deep down, that's, going, that's what goes on within our hearts as we reject the truth of God and His existence. That's the argument the Bible puts before us. That's true of every person who rejects God and His existence. God has made plain the truth to them in His creation, and in our sin and our rebellion, we take it and we suppress that truth. Now... Since God is the one who created all things, as the Bible shows us, makes claim, since God is the one who, is, who has created all things, we come to the question, well, why has He created all things? Why did God create in the first place? What was His purpose in creating? Did God create because He needed something? was God lacking something? Was he lonely? Was he in need of relationship? You know, were these the reasons why he created? No. God has never needed anything or anyone. He was not lonely. He was not lacking. He was not in need of something. God has always existed as the triune God, Father, Son, Holy Spirit, and has always experienced perfect contentment and joy within Himself. Before God created, it was just Him, but He had everything that He needed within Himself. The Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit, existing throughout eternity past, having all that they needed, perfect happiness, perfect contentment within God Himself. And there are some passages in the Bible that give us a glimpse of this. The first couple of passages come from John 17. This is Jesus' high priestly prayer, as it's known. And listen to what Jesus says as He prays this prayer. He's praying to the Father now before He goes to the cross. In verse 5 he says, And now, Father, glorify me in Your presence with the glory that I had with You before the world existed. The glory that I had with You before the world existed. Again in verse 24 of chapter 17. Father, I desire that they also, whom You have given me, may be with me where I am, to see my glory that you have given me because you loved me before the foundation of the world. So in Jesus' prayer here, we get a glimpse of what it was like when it was just God Himself. Before there was anything else, The Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit enjoyed perfect relationship with one another, loving one another, having contentment within one another, and they shared glory with one another. So God was not lonely, He was not unhappy, and He was not in need of anything. Listen to these texts. Exodus chapter 3, verse 14. God said to Moses, I am who I am. very familiar text. When God told this, or whenever this is God revealing His name to Moses in this verse, when God revealed His name, His personal name to Moses in this moment, He was primarily talking about His His faithfulness, because you remember He was about to send Moses into Egypt, telling him, hey, bring my people back. And Moses was looking for some surety, some foundation to stand on. Hey, how do I know you're going to be with me? Things like that. And God says, "Well, I am who I am." In other words, what I say, you can bank on. My promises are sure because I am who I am. I'm unchanging. What I say, the promises that are that I make will not change. But also, within this name of God, we also are shown God's self-sufficiency. Because as God says, I am who I am, He's showing that He's not dependent on anybody else. Because if God was dependent on somebody else for His faithfulness or for His happiness or anything else, then He wouldn't be all that faithful, would He? If He was dependent on somebody else. We also see this in the picture of the burning bush as God makes known His name to Moses, as He's speaking to Moses. You remember the bush was burning, but the bush was not actually being consumed by the flame. I mean, it was surrounded by the fire, but it wasn't actually burning the bush up. And so what that's showing is that the fire had its own source, its own energy source, to burn within itself, as Sinclair Ferguson said in one of his sermons. The fire that was burning had its energy source to burn within itself. And that is a picture of who God is. As He says, I am who I am. Everything that God is, everything that He requires, that He needs, although He has no needs, is within Himself. He is who he is. Job forty-one, eleven. God says, "Who is first given to me that I should repay him? Whatever is under the whole heaven is mine." Psalm fifty, ten to twelve. For every beast of the forest is mine; the cattle on a thousand hills. I know all the birds of the hills, and all that moves in the field is mine. If I were hungry, I would not tell you, for the world in its fullness are mine. Acts 17, 24-25 to The God who made the world and everything in it, being Lord of heaven and earth, does not live in temples made by man, nor is He served by human hands, as though He needed anything, since He Himself gives to all mankind life and breath and everything. God is in need of nothing. He's not dependent upon anything else or anyone else. Life, breath, everything is found within God Himself. So, since God is in need of nothing and He is totally content within Himself, we're still at the question of why then did He create? You know, what was His purpose in creating? if He wasn't in need of anything, if He was perfectly happy within Himself, why would He create us and everything in this world? The answer is this. God created you, He created everything in this world and all of the cosmos to share who He is. He created to share who He is. God created to share who He is. His happiness within Himself overflowed into creation. The joy that He had within Himself, the happiness that He had within Himself, the glory that... He enjoyed within Himself. He created to share all of those things with us so that we could take joy in them as well. So in other words, God, creating, God created all things in order to put His glory on display. That's why He created. God overflowed into creation, onto the canvas of the world and the universe. Now, what do I mean by glory? Or what do we mean by glory? What does the Bible mean whenever it uses the word glory? What is God's glory? I'll be honest, defining God's glory is pretty difficult. It's kind of like defining beauty. You know, how do you define beauty? You don't really define beauty, you kind of point at it, right? You say, what do you mean beauty? Well, that. That's that's beautiful. Well, glory, God's glory is kind of similar. You can't necessarily put it into words. You have to point at it. But I'm going to try to give a definition to help. Now, there are many theologians who have defined God's glory, and I'm sure some of their definitions are better than mine. But Here's my attempt to do so. God's glory is the display of His infinite perfections. That's what God's glory is. God's glory is the display, so we can see it, it's the display of His infinite perfections. And when I say perfections, I refer to His Characteristics, his character, who he is, talking about like his, his beauty, his wisdom, his love, his justice, his power, things like that. I call them perfections because they are all perfect. They have no fault. God's love is perfect love. His wisdom is perfect wisdom. His justice is perfect justice. All of his characteristics are perfect in every way, in every way. And I say infinite because none of them have an end. There is no end to God's love. There is no end to God's wisdom. You will never be able to understand it. There is no end to God's power, there is no end to God's beauty. So therefore, I say, God's glory is the display of His infinite perfections. And God is always about His glory first and foremost. It is always at the forefront of everything that He does. Psalm 19, verse 1. The heavens declare the glory of God, and the sky above proclaims His handiwork. So in creation... Whatever you see, whatever you behold, you know all of the beautiful scenery there is to look at, all the wonderful food there is to taste. and countless other things that we could name, all of those things are about God's glory. As Psalm 19:1 says, "The heavens declare the glory of God. And the sky in the sky, proclaims His handiwork. It's all about His glory. So Kelly and I on our vacation while we were in Canada saw some of the most beautiful scenery that, I, that I've ever seen. Some of that scenery was Niagara Falls. We, had to, we were able to go and to look at Niagara Falls. If you've never seen Niagara Falls, you need to see it. It is a beautiful sight to see my goodness at all the water that's coming over those falls. I can't remember how many gallons a minute are coming over. I think it's something like 34 million gallons per minute coming over those falls. And that's with the falls being regulated by like power, uh, power generators and things like that that we've put there to harness some of the energy So there's about 3 feet of water coming over those falls. If those power generators weren't there, those powerhouses, it would be anywhere from 9 to 15 feet of water coming over those falls. That is a massive amount of water. And we were also able to take a boat that takes you right up to the falls and you can just feel the the water, the power, you can hear it coming over. And the whole time as I was sitting there, just taking in this beautiful sight, I could just think to myself I was just thinking to myself what would it be like to behold the glory of the Lord in this moment You know this is nothing compared to who God is and what it would be like to hear him speak to me in this moment You know the Bible often refers to God his voice being like the the sound of many waterfalls or the roar of many waterfalls Niagara Falls is like that compared to the glory of God. Nothing in comparison. And every other beautiful sight that you have ever taken in. It is just a piece of who God is. It's just a little small picture. It's communicating to you what God is like. And what it is like to know Him. His beauty And things like that. Every time you take a bite of good food, and I know we love food in the South, in this area, here at this church. Every time you take a bite of good food and the flavors just burst in your mouth, it's because of the goodness of God. God didn't have to make food good. It could just be something bland, kind of like oatmeal until you add something to it. How would you feel if you just ate oatmeal all the time? But God didn't do that. He made food wonderful, tasteful. And it all speaks about Him and His glory, His beauty, His creativeness, who He is, His character, what it's like to know Him. He's always about His glory. Creation is all about His glory. Here's some other texts. Exodus 9, verses 15 and 16. This is... God talking to the Pharaoh here. He says to the Pharaoh, For by now I could have put out My hand and struck you and your people with pestilence, and you would have been cut off from the earth. But for this purpose I have raised you up. Why? To show you My power, so that My name or My glory may be proclaimed in the earth. Isaiah forty-eight eleven. For my own sake, for my own sake, I do it. For how should my name be profaned? My glory I will not give to another. God is always about His glory. It's what He cares about first and foremost. Over anything else, it is His glory. So in everything that God does, He has His glory first and foremost in mind which includes when He created human beings, even you and me. When He created you, when He created man, what God had in mind first and foremost was His glory. And when He created us, he created us to make much of Him or bring glory to Him in a very unique way, in a way that no other creature or part of creation is able to bring glory to God. Look with me now at verses 26 and 27 of Genesis chapter 1. Verse 26, Then God said, Let us make man in our own image, He created Him in a way that He did not create anything else. We were created to reflect and to make much of God in a way that, say, a squirrel, I don't know why I'm thinking about a squirrel, it's the first thing that comes to my mind, that a squirrel cannot, or any other creature, animal, things like that, can glorify God. They do glorify God. But they cannot glorify God like you and I can glorify God because we have been made in His very image. We reflect God's glory in ways like no other part of creation. And here's some examples of this. We are a creative people. Where do you think your desire to be creative comes from? You know, we as a human race love to be creative. Where do you think artists come from? painters, modellers, you know, people that make like ice sculptures or sculptures out of clay or whatever. You know, this creative ability that we have, that comes from God. Him being creative. Us being made in his image, we are also creative. We have the ability to have relationships with other people. Relationships like friendship, close friendship, Marriage, the marriage relationship, and things like that. Yes, animals can have a type of relationship. You know, they sometimes travel in packs and herds and things like that. But it's nowhere near in comparison to what a human relationship is like. The complexity of it. The intimacy of it. Where do you think that comes from? God, in His very essence, is relationship. The Father the Son, the Holy Spirit, having that relationship within themselves, that pours over into us, being created in His image. We desire to work, organize, and to improve things. You know, we love to work hard and then step back and just take in how good of a job we may have done. You know, if you're a carpenter or, or something like that, if you build something and you just step back and you just you, you find delight in what you've done. Or if you just mown your yard. Mowed your yard. Yeah, I like to do this when I mow my yard. Step back and, man, that looks nice. Or other things like that. Where do you think that comes from? What did God do whenever He created everything? He stepped back and He said, it is good. It is very good. We do that because we are created in the image of God. Animals don't do that. They could care less what they make looks like. You know, we were going through a study a while back with Wayne Grudem. And he was talking about creation. He said, if you notice, you know, a bird's nest looks the same as it did a thousand years ago. They build the same type of nest... They haven't really improved anything. But what do our homes look like? Totally different. And we're always seeking to improve and make things better. It's because we've been created in the image of God. This is what Psalm 8 says about our uniqueness. The psalmist writes, When I look at your heavens, the work of your fingers, the moon and the stars which you have set in place, what is man that you are mindful of him? Yet you have made him a little lower than the heavenly beings and crowned him with glory and honor. You have given him dominion over the works of your hands. You have put all things under his feet. We are unique, created in God's image. And in all of our uniqueness, we are called to give God the praise. We are called to glorify Him in it. 1 Corinthians 10 verse 31. So whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, do all to the glory of God. That's a command. Not something you pick and choose. Whatever you eat or drink, or whether you eat or drink, whatever you do, do all to the glory of God. To His praise we make much of Him. Even as we drink a glass of water and as we take a bite of food. Now, the last point that I want to make in glorifying God, there is fullness of joy. Now, at this point, all of this may just sound like God is, you know, some type of divine bully. You know, He's created us, He's made us in His image. And He commands us to make much of Him. I mean, who does that? Make much of me. Make much of me. Praise me. Make much of me. You glorify me. Make much of me. If you said that, you know, we'd think you're crazy. But God says it, and He's good and just and He's right. Why? Psalm sixteen, eleven. You make known to me the path of life. In your presence is fullness of joy. At your right hand are pleasures forevermore. This is why God's command to us to praise and make much of Him is a good thing and not a bad thing. Because if God was not about Himself first and foremost, and instead was about you first and foremost, there would be no, as Psalm 16 says, there would be no path of life. There would be no fullness of joy. There would be no pleasures forevermore. Because where does the psalmist say those things are found? Not in your presence, but in God's. In knowing Him, right? So if God was first and foremost about you, making much of you, He wouldn't love you. Because He would be giving you something secondary. Because you cannot give yourself fullness of joy and satisfaction. I cannot give you fullness of joy and satisfaction. Your wife, your husband... Your girlfriend, your boyfriend, your mother, your father, your sisters, or whoever, your brothers, your siblings, they cannot give you satisfaction. It's only found in the presence of God. So if God was not passionate for His own glory, and making it known above all things, and commanding us to praise Him, He would be hating us because He would be holding back what is most valuable. He would be holding back the one thing that can ultimately satisfy us. As Psalm 16 says, Himself and His glory. And that is what you were made for. That is why God created you. He created you to know and to experience His glory and to praise Him for it. And in praising Him for it, He gets the glory and we in return get the greatest joy. God gets the glory. He's exalted to the proper place. And we get the joy that's found only there. And this is what Adam and Eve experienced in the very beginning in the Garden of Eden. Verse 25 of chapter 2. In Genesis, And the man and his wife were both naked and were not ashamed. They were naked and not ashamed. They weren't just physically naked. They were also spiritually naked. They were exposed before each other. There was nothing to be ashamed of. They had nothing to hide. All was put out to where it could be seen in the presence of God, in the presence of one another. They glorified God as they were created to, and they received joy as they were created to, and they loved one another as they were created to. They experienced perfection. So as I close this morning, we, we end up with the question of, you know, what happened, Right? If it was perfect then, then why do we experience what we experience now? What happened to the good creation that God made? Why do humans instead of glorifying God and enjoying Him, now hate Him and oppose Him in many ways? And why do we, even as Christians, still struggle with these things? You know, Why do we still struggle to make much of God and to enjoy Him? We'll begin to see that next week as we look at the fall of creation. One more thing that I want to bring before you before I close in prayer. We're going to be talking about the gospel. We're going to be seeing how Christ restores all of these things. You know, how He makes all of this right. But I want to go ahead and tell you now before we get there that He is the restorer of all of these things. You know, what is now broken, He has come and paid the penalty on our behalf. Our sin, our rebellion. He took all of that upon Himself. And so, if you want to experience this joy that we've been talking about, what you're created for, the only way to experience is if you go through Christ. If you come to Him. It is found in no other place. So this morning, if you do not know this joy that God has created you for, go to Him. He receives all those who come to Him. He will turn none away. Now if you would, let's pray together. Father, we come before You and we thank You for who You are. We thank You for Your glory, for Your perfections. And making them known to us in creation. That we can experience it. All of the good things that we have, Lord, they all paint a picture of You and Your goodness and the goodness of the Lord Jesus. It's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen.